The O3C Podcast is a proud member of the HyperX Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of the O3C Podcast, coming to you from O3C Games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined by my excellent friend and a certain absolute gaming compatriot, Chris Dow. Baby powder. And we are here to chat your ears off about our love of video games. Yep. Announcement. Announcement. Good morrow, fine ears. Let me tell you about our Patreon page. Despite what you may have come to believe, things cost stuff. Sometimes not a lot of stuff, <laughs> but some stuff is often required for said things. In this instance, view the podcast as a thing, and Patreon, my friends, is the stuff. There are numerous things that cost us a little bit of stuff in producing and running the podcast and helping the other bits and bobs we're doing, and Patreon is a superb way of helping support us if you are indeed interested and able to do that. Contributions of stuff start from as little as £4 a month, which works out at a pound an episode. And if stuff you do give, things you shall receive, because we will shower you with additional bonus things as a sign of mutual respect for both you and the stuff. <laughs> things such as full bonus episodes, exclusive deleted scenes and outtakes, bonus video content, access to our exclusive Discord server, and a new thing for this season are the video counterparts to the episodes, which are unedited and ad-free so you can see both mine and Chris's faces gormlessly fluff through the episodes and earn a newfound respect for just how much editing is required to make this podcast work. <laughs> Patreon.com slash O3C Games or go to our website O3C.Games where you can check out our articles, reviews and videos and also hop over to the support page for links to the Patreon or a one-off donation stuff button via PayPal if subscribing isn't your bag. We thank you. It's Halloween month, and that means it's time to get your setup decked out in a new costume. Get 15% off of all pink products at HyperX.com by using code HXPN at checkout. Whether you prefer the chic pink accents of the Pulsefire Haste, or the snazzy metallic pink of the Aloe Origin 60 keyboard, this is definitely the month to think pink. Head over to HyperX.com and check out the selection, and enter code HXPN, as in HyperX Podcast Network, in all caps, to get your 15% discount at checkout. Welcome to episode three of season five of the O3C podcast. And welcome to the first Fortnite challenge episode of the season as well. If you haven't previously heard, the format of this season is going to see us alternate between coverage of the play date and these Fortnite challenge episodes where me and Chris will report back on a game that the other has set us to play. Typically, it'll be a game that sits outside of our comfort zone, or it might be a game that's passed us by, a retro game that wasn't on a console we owned as a kid. It might just be a walloping curveball. As a reminder of the games that we challenged each other to play, Chris set me the game Bleed, an arcade shoot 'em up and I challenged Chris to play one of my favourite games in my top 100. It's a point-and-click adventure game, Machinarium. You did. I can't wait to find out what you thought of that game, and I'm looking forward to giving you some personal critical feedback on Bleed, which will <laughs> hopefully inform your choices of what you challenged me to play next. I was going to say, I didn't, I didn't make it. <laughs> <laughs> For the purposes of this, yes, you did. Okay, okay. As you probably know, Last week, we uh, put out a little filler episode because, unfortunately, both me and Chris found ourselves in hospital for uh, a week, which stalled our plans uh, to, to record. 
but we're back. We're back now. We're we're both alive. We're both fine. I've got some scars. This is what you can get. If you subscribe to the Patreon and look at the video counterpart of this episode, you can see the surgical scars. What are you buying? What are you playing? So, what did the last two weeks bring us in terms of gaming? Were we able to sit and play more games as we recovered and waited in hospital waiting rooms. I can, I can tell you the case for me was unfortunately not because as I'm sure you'll attest as well, Chris, hospital is it's a strange place because it exists both as the best place you can be when you're seriously ill, but it's also the worst place you can be to actually get better. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I've got nothing but extreme, profound and deep thanks and respect to the NHS and their staff. They're all working themselves tirelessly to the bone to make every scrap of funding stretch as far as possible with, like, you know, financial support offered to them, like, thoroughly watered down gruel from the Tory government. Yeah. So yeah. any criticisms I lay are directed firmly at those in charge, not the NHS themselves uh, and, and certainly not the staff. Like at the moment, like healthcare in our country feels entirely reactive. And that's, I think, part of the, the biggest problem we have with the immense stretch that the NHS are experiencing. They have to constantly define which are the most important cases, like which people need to be dealt with before others, which is, of course, like the, the right way to do it. But there should be more support for the NHS to then support more people at the same time. And, and God forbid, maybe help people before they end up at a point of crisis you're going to be coming at it from a, from a slightly different different side of the coin because uh, all I was in for was uh, I, I, I needed to have my appendix out that was it yeah I experienced that weight in hospital surgery the weight will go on as long as humanly possible it will go on <laughs> long past your emotionally and spiritually broken right until uh, the point where it feels you could legitimately sue them uh, if they made you wait any longer and then uh, and then they'll be like oh yeah no we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do it now and don't Ooh, it's fine. <laughs> uh, <I> mean, <laughs> Put down the phone. You don't need to speak to a lawyer just yet. Yeah, it's fine. Get off the complaint call. I mean, within the first day of me being in hospital, I knew I needed my appendix out. You know, they told they they identified that and told me that, and then they could put me on painkillers and some medication. I was able to make myself fairly comfortable for you know however long. Then I think it was three days of how I waited, nil by mouth. And I'd have been all right if they'd have said, look, it's going to be three days. You can't eat or drink anything for three days. I would have been like, fine, I can pace myself. I can know that's, you know, that's where I'm aiming for. Yeah. But just not knowing and just like waiting seemingly endlessly just, oh, it just saps you of any sort of enthusiasm for anything and any sort of hope or optimism. And like, my, I mean, my mood just plummets massively in those, in, especially as like, you know, I can't eat anything, which... And I don't know how long I'm not going to be able to eat anything. And then I also got like a, a ward full of the oldest people you can imagine, <laughs> yeah. like getting getting the, the the menu shouted at them like three <laughs> times a day. So I just I did all like literally my my existence was being so hungry and hearing thirty meals shouted at me like every day. Yeah. It was it was it was horrible. And certainly, I mean, there was this ninety six year old bloke in the ward with me loudly commentating that he wanted to go home so he could die in peace Jeez, yeah. i mean other other zingers he came out with were i buried my dog's ashes with my wife's ashes christ oh, my God. little brother never saw his father's face oh. and uh, my little sister in the war it was the cancer that got her God. <laughs> back to gaming 
I started playing This War of Mine to cheer myself up. Uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> it's it's a miserable place. It's hospital is a miserable place, and like I said, it's not a place you go to get better. And like the horrible thing about having any sort of like depression or periods of low mood is it just it sucks the life out of you. Like it, it, I was in a position where I could have fairly comfortably sat and just played video games for three days. That was like a great opportunity. Like oh, fantastic! Right, I'll put my feet up. <laughs> uh, but I just I just didn't want to. I just didn't, I didn't really, I just didn't really want to do anything. I tried, like I brought like my Steam Deck with me. So, you know, I could have made some meaningful progress in like Cult of the Lamb or Batman Arkham City, which I, you know, got on the go, but I just couldn't be bothered. Yeah. Like instead, I just sort of mindlessly played Bonza on my phone, which is, <laughs> it's, it's fairly relaxing apart from the, <laughs> the occasional ad interruption of, actual Matt Letizia, uh trying to get me to download the only free matched three puzzle game with zero ads. <laughs> That's right. Zero ads. Thank you, Matt. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks very much, Matt. But how, how are you doing, Chris? How are you doing? I'm doing okay. It's It's been a strange chunk of time, you know, a pretty torrid time for both of our health in, in different ways. It's such a strange coalescence that in one five-day stretch, we were both independently hospitalised yeah. on, on our respective corners of the little island. Yeah. But, you know, life does move in mysterious ways sometimes. I tried to entertain myself as much as I could in, in the time I was away. Like, when I was initially taken to hospital over concerns with some chest pains, I genuinely thought I'd be home by tea time. Mm. And I was very ill-prepared because of that, because I basically said to Georgia, see you in a few hours, like, you know, they just need to do a scan and check me over and then I'll be back. And when things escalated and then I was rushed up to London for some further scans and checks from down the southeast where I live, it meant that the only entertainment I'd actually brought with me was my play date and my phone, and both of which were looking very suspect when it comes to battery life at that point, because I'd sat in just the A&E at Margate waiting for these results of this scan, essentially just endlessly scrolling on my phone and then just dipping in and out of little things on the play date to try and entertain myself. And just, you could see the the battery drip down sort of percent by percent. See, this is where my original idea that the crank on the play date should also be an analog charger, like those wind up radios. It absolutely should be. It absolutely should be. On the play date, I started a fresh playthrough of Casual Birder as I'd got a bit stuck back when the console first arrived and I'd kind of forgotten what I was supposed to be doing. Like when we covered it on the episode the other week, I said I hadn't finished it. And when I boosted it up to try and carry on, I was just like, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what's in my inventory. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what I've taken pictures of and what I haven't. But after an hour or so, I was back to roughly where I had been. I started exploring part of the map I hadn't actually seen at all for some reason, down by the beach and lighthouse area. And it's just quite a cosy place. It's, it's nice how they use dithering to sort of convey shadow in that section. And I just sort of potted about, took some photos. Again, haven't finished it, mm. but made more progress than I did the first time. Casually birded around. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> When I was settled up in London uh, and kind of the the worry was, the worry had subsided essentially. There was a concern I was going to have to have some surgery that I didn't have to. So then it was just a case of being monitored for a couple of days before I could be sent home. But at that stage also, I'd been awake for so long that my focus was pretty woolly and I still had a lot of time to kill. It was very hard to sleep in the ward I was in. So I was just there awake. And I defaulted back to just hammering games of solitaire on the play date with the side loaded app, yeah. Smolitaire. There's very little to say about it other than it is solitaire, but it was absolutely enough to kill a few hours when laying on the bed, conserving the last 10% of phone battery I had whilst sniffing out a charger I could borrow from a ward mate or a nurse or just anyone really. It does have a cool mechanic whereby the crank lets you quickly send cards to the home piles at the top if they're accessible in your stacks. Nice. And that's quite satisfying, especially as 
I was essentially trying to hold off until the very end. So I had just full stacks of cards. So I could try yeah. and chain gun all 52 in succession. Nice. Uh, and that was, that was something to aim for. <laughs> you know, yeah. kill, kill an hour. <laughs> <laughs> when I was a bit more juiced up, I tried to play a bit of Tetris on my phone. Yeah. And I'm not sure who's responsible for the current free-to-play Tetris on mobile because I downloaded it purely for this occasion. Yeah. But I thought it might have at least been like a serviceable option to kill a few minutes whilst I was just sitting and waiting. Mm. This version lets you play a three-minute game. There's a standard marathon mode. When you reach a certain progress level, there's like a Tetris 99 copying Royale mode. But I never made it that far because after every game, every game, you get to watch two full minutes of adverts. And believe me... (laughs) That gets old pretty quick, even if you love <laughs> yeah. Tetris. Even if you love Tetris and you've literally got nothing else to do. Yeah. And I, w- I was flicking through the different menus and found you could pay to remove ads, which I genuinely would have considered doing at that moment. But it was only for a month. And then they come That's back again. The fucking worst. They come yeah. back again. And it's just such a crying shame that premium games on mobile now have basically been completely bred out of the market mm. because people are so entitled that the economy and value of mobile titles is just utterly destroyed completely yeah. destroyed apple arcade is is still a, a real beacon uh yeah, amongst all yeah. of that i mean i'm still playing jetpack joyride too they just released uh, the gardens between on on apple arcade Ooh, and i started that playing game. that and that's a gorgeous that little game. game you know i downloaded a little solitaire game that was on apple arcade that was just had a nice little bit of premium polish to it you know yeah i did, did the job bit of spider yeah yeah when i was finally home from hospital And at roughly the time you went in for your own stay. (laughs) Tag team. (laughs) I obviously filled my time with a bit of today's challenge game because I was a bit behind Mm. then on playing Machinarium. But I also, I beat one game I'd been playing through on my Steam Deck. And I also started a new game on my Switch briefly as well, which I will tell you all about. Now on the deck, I beat the now near mythical freeware title. It's a mouthful, this one called Barkley Shut Up and Jam Gaiden. Now, it is a very old, very silly game that is presented as a canon sequel to both the Mega Drive basketball game, Barkley, Shut Up and Jam, and the film Space Jam. Brilliant. And (laughs) in it, you play as Charles Barkley, NBA superstar, and it's a parody RPG, but one that is played completely straight. And that that really is the joke throughout the whole thing. Brilliant. (laughs) Now... I won't spoil any of the story because pretty much all of the game's humor relies on you buying into the game world's utterly dumb premise and just accepting terms like the chaos dunk that destroyed half the world as just like, oh, that's what (laughs) happened. But I I will say it's a genuine laugh from start to finish. It pokes fun at the material it's pretending to iterate on really well. It also pokes fun at kind of the po-faced JRPGs that present these sort of storylines of just absolute nonsense without batting an eyelid. One thing I was concerned about is... This was obviously a game that launched in the mid-2000s, and I was sort of worried that it would have that kind of edgelord internet humour that makes a lot of this era's media somewhat problematic when trying to to view it 15 or 20 years into the future. But if you think back to that time period, the number of films chucked out, mainly by the Farrelly brothers, (laughs) if we're being honest. (laughs) Yeah. They're just unwatchable these days. If you've got any semblance of like modern social or political awareness at all, it's, it's quite startling. And I was really worried that having not played this game when it was contemporary, it might fall into that category. There are a few misfires that do kind of date it. You know, there's there's things that make you feel a bit uncomfortable, like the status effects in battle. They're all named after like medical conditions and disabilities, which is, you know, pretty ableist if we're looking at it now. But in execution, it's not 
really that much worse than any of the type of jokes that South Park is still making today as like a point <laughs> of comparison. Yeah. It also, and this one is a bit more iffy, it centres a whole quest line on taking down a character, unfortunately based around Bill Cosby. Ooh. And although it's hard to know how much anyone was aware of his behaviour and misdeeds back when it was being developed by three people in the early yeah. 2000s, when we view it today, pretty icky. But, yeah. you know, you can balance these things out. Yeah, just play Michael Jackson's Moonwalker and help Michael Jackson rescue <laughs> children. <laughs> overall though it's a brisk like we're talking five or six hours all in genuinely amusing rpg it's linear by choice to just it's about getting through the story it's about just you know appreciating the jokes as they come and it really effectively pokes fun at the genre at the kind of rpg maker culture of kind of online communities and also in kind of the stock we place in esoteric media like space jam i guess (laughs) and it really did make me laugh there was a lot of points that i thought were genuinely laugh out loud funny I've played this on the Steam Deck, but as a word of warning to anyone wanting to do the same, <laughs> be prepared to get so deep into the inner workings of, of Linux, Proton, and Wine compatibility oh, wow. to okay. make this one play. <laughs> like the, the challenge of getting this up and running easily took longer than actually beating the game in sheer hourage. That's the real game for you, though, isn't it? You love it. You loved mad it. mad for that stuff. Because it's every time someone says it, it just doesn't work. You know, I, I find an old message board that's like, oh, you know, it's not really compatible on Linux because of X, Y, and Z. I'm like, yeah. but it, I reckon it could be. I reckon yeah. it could be. And I just carried on going. But if you were genuinely interested in playing it, anyone out there, just do yourself a favour and play it on the PC or Mac. Like it, it runs on any machine. You don't need to play it on the Steam Deck. It's not a problem. Yeah. Speaking of funny, silly games that poke fun at things, I was like rummaging through my Steam Deck, like trying to find something, not, not even not even really knowing what I wanted to play, but just like, oh, that's installed. I'll give that a go. And I played a game called Procession to Calvary. Oh, I've not played it. I've seen pictures. Yeah. So it's it's a comedy point and click game done in the style of like Monty Python animation essentially. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it is pretty funny and full of sort of very silly animation and pithy jokes. Uh, it's also full of the frustrations that are rife in the lesser point and click games, uh, which is lack of precision, uh, an overabundance of trial and error problem solving. It's the sort of game that I would probably enjoy watching a let's play of. Um, so I could just skip all of that faff and just enjoy the humour. But I don't have time to go through all of that crap myself. But speaking of retro games, I I did have a rummage around my emulation library and failed to choose from the thousands of games at my fingertips, uh, which one might (laughs) hold my attention as I have some going into my third day of nil by mouth. The old Netflix problem, isn't it? It is. It really, really is. I did end up playing a couple of hours of James Bond 007 on the Game Boy. Nice. Yeah, it is a stone cold good game <laughs> it really is it's ahead of its time it really yeah. is and it's a it's a classic um i was i was yeah i'm enjoying that i might not get back to it but i enjoyed it it, it did you know f- filled a couple of hours yeah and i managed to fill another hour or two with star fox adventures on the uh, on the gamecube which yeah. is a game that came up in discussion in our discord server and uh and that was fun. It was fun, but it's got weird controls because it's a still hadn't really quite figured out proper good 3D camera controls for third person stuff and combat and all of that stuff. It just felt a little bit weird in the modern context and I couldn't be bothered to faff around with configurations to get it smoother. Yeah. But I would like to play through it again because it is, a, yeah, I'm very fond of that game and it's a good Zelda-like. So I might, when I've got a little bit more resilience, get into it and, uh, and, and tweak some of those controls and, and, and give it a give it a proper go but you said you'd picked up a new game 
I have, and it's one that you are a fan of as well, mm. because on Switch, I started Alto's Collection, oh. the, the lovely little pairing of Alto's Journey and Alto's Odyssey. How absolutely wonderful. A little shout out, actually, to somebody who reached out to us on Instagram uh, to say that they really enjoyed listening to our mental health well-being special, which is the episode where I talked about Alto's Adventure and Alto's Odyssey. Uh, so yeah, timely, timely. It's one of those game series that's been in the back of my head pretty much since then, that I think I, I was aware of them, but hadn't played them. I do own an iPad that I use very infrequently, so I'd never kind of installed them or tried to sort of play, you know, via the Apple device I had. And they may or may not be on Android, but I I just never picked them up kind of thing. But they're endless runners. They look really lovely on mobile. They look just as nice here playing on a big screen Mm. with the Switch or via the, the OLED display if you're playing in handheld. And they're just nice single button score attacks with that kind of genre standard of refreshing goals when you hit certain milestones and amassing scores and collectibles across single or cumulative runs and i've just had a really really nice time it's kind of exactly what i wanted when i picked it up just something that i didn't have to commit a lot of real thought to but if i wanted to i could play for quite a long time i get very into this sort of stuff in the same way that i know you have with jetpack joyride yeah like it took a little while to get the hang of the rotation system for flips and tricks there was a slight learning curve to understand when you're supposed to jump when you approach a ramp because I kept sort of jumping at the peak and just flying into the wall of a chasm. But <laughs> yeah. as soon as you kind of commit some of these things to muscle memory, lovely. Mm. 10 out of 10. Love them. Really, really nice. Excellent. I'm really, really glad. They are, yeah, really, really lovely games. Very comforting. Uh, very simple. Very moving. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've, ne- I've never played them on anything bigger than an iPhone. Um, you should. I really would like to to play it on like my big 4K OLED TV downstairs. Mm. I think that would be... Mm. In fact, I can because I've got Apple Arcade on my Apple TV. So Ooh. I'll just play it with an Apple remote. Ooh. Ooh. Somebody's in for a treat tomorrow. <laughs> Me. Uh, <laughs> when I got out of hospital, I decided to pick up a couple of brand new games uh, to try and sort of get me out of my funk a little bit. And I picked yeah. up two actual physical games that I could enjoy unwrapping and putting into Ooh. In a, a console and playing. In a box and everything. First of which, on the Switch was uh, Sonic Colors Ultimate, which had been on my list uh, after yeah. my little Sonic Fest that I had a few weeks back. And the I binge? Heard, yeah. That's, yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. Where, where does appendicitis come from? <laughs> Turns out, don't play too many Sonic games. Um, <laughs> it's, the only, it's the only evidence I've got to go on, but you can't argue with it. No, can't argue with science. I'd heard only good things about Sonic Colors, uh, saying it was the best 3d sonic game that the remaster was great it looked nice and fun and colorful i mean it may may be the best 3d sonic game but that's kind of like saying i had the best appendix in the appendectomy board or (laughs) jeremy hunt is the best mp in liz truss's cabinet it's not much of a compliment if everything around it is a literal stinking pile of human entrails or it's a selection of burst appendices That's very harsh when it comes to Sonic Colors because it's 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 an absolutely adequate game. Um, I've, I've, I've just got so little interest in playing it through to completion. There yeah. there are moments of fun, uh, but also so many moments of painfully imprecise platforming action. So yeah, Sonic Colors is going straight back to the shop. I think trade that one back in. But there we go. The other game I picked up because we don't want this podcast to become too too niche or too highbrow. So I did pick up FIFA 23 and uh, <laughs> that game is also fine. It's, yeah. uh, 
it's got some little updates. Some of them are quite nice. It's uh, they've got a new system for taking corners and free kicks that for Ooh. me feels better than it's it's ever done. It, it seems like that is a function that EA have changed every year uh, with, with with no real consistency in terms of like why they're changing it or they're not, not like tweaking a system. They're just going like, ah, that didn't work. Let's do this. Ah, that didn't work. Let's do this. Maybe you just have to do rock, paper, scissors. I don't know. That. Let's try this. And I don't know why they haven't landed on like a, a just a suitable solution or even like an option to say like you can just select it on an option to say, I want to do this style of free kicks or this style of free kicks or this style of free kicks. If you want to do something like a three click system, like in a golf game, or you want to sort of actually like physically sort of map where you want the spin to go or whether you want it to be purely driven by analog stick or something like that. Just give us the options. Just give us the options and then we can choose. Cause this for me feels infinitely better than any way they've, they've had it for, for years. And they'll change it next season. <laughs> Almost certainly. Well, they're just going to change everything else to yeah. EA, EA sports FC, whatever that looks like. I've got, three careers on the go now in uh, FIFA 23. One with a create your own team where I've tried to replicate my five-a-side team who unfortunately I'm not going to be able to play with for a fair few weeks whilst I recover. So that's quite fun. So I've got Jaffa Kicks playing there. I've got another career going playing as Arsenal, obviously. Uh, although this is the first time playing as Arsenal hasn't felt as good as watching them play. Yeah. There'll be like a few times when I'm controlling certain players where I'm like, I want them to do something I know they could do in real life. <laughs> uh, but like their, their digital counterpart literally won't play ball. Yeah. yeah. And the squad didn't really need any tweaking, which is the other thing. Although I did sell Nketiah immediately. Um, <laughs> poor old Eddie. Poor, poor old Eddie. Poor old B-team B Eddie. Yeah. I bought, yeah. I bought Alexander Isak over um, as a striking companion for Jesus. Uh, although I was just tempted to get Olivier Giroud back because, I love him. like, statistically, he's got to be one of the most successful footballers of all time. If you look at the different trophies he's won, yeah. he's won them all. He's won them absolutely all. He's, he's had a good career. He's, he's, I love him. I, and nobody has ever looked better doing it. <laughs> the other career I have is with the brilliantly realised AFC Richmond team that's included in the game from the TV show Ted Lasso. Ah. And you can even choose Ted Lasso as your manager. So you've got the Marlborough man on the sidelines in his sweater vest to complete the vision. So that's a hoot. I'm enjoying bringing in some real players into that squad to add some youth potential. The weird thing is that there doesn't seem to be commentary included for the team. They're just referring to all of the players in very generic, vague terms, which is weird. But then also once the commentator did just say, oh, and it's Jamie Tart. So I don't know if there's a software glitch and the content is in there because it does feel like an easier job to put the names in the commentary bank than recreate a dozen actors' likenesses and a fictional football ground. Yeah, but, yeah. But that's FIFA, isn't it? Like it, that's, it, that's EA. That's, you know, how they spend their money. Yeah. I mean, essentially, all these games are, are just annual patches, aren't they? Paying 70 quid for an annual patch. It's hard to feel like you've got your money's worth with a FIFA game if you're not playing online and playing yeah. in all of that stuff. But certainly whilst I'm unable to play football for a fair few weeks, it will be a nice, uh, nice way to, um, to scratch that itch. A little bit of fun. <laughs> Thank you. So it is Fortnite challenge report time. Oh, <laughs> you love it. You love it. Yeah. It's like teacher's evening, teacher's night. What do you call it? Parent teacher evening? It's something Staff like night? Conference? <laughs> Staff bonanza party night yeah yeah parent teacher fun time get pissed try not to throw up on a child night <laughs> one of those don't photocopy anyone's bums uh, usually usually <laughs> two weeks ago chris set me the challenge to play bleed little arcade game 
I'm going to tell you what I thought of that in a minute. But first of all, I want to hear what Chris has made of the game that I recommended to him, which was Machinarium. Uh, Machinarium is a beautiful little point-and-click puzzle adventure game. I played it on the PC, but it's available on mobiles. It's available on everything. I think you've got it on Switch. I do. And I, do. Uh, I loved it so much that it is included in my top 100 games of all time. And yeah, I really, really hoped that you would uh, you would find that little something special that, that I got from it and, and enjoy it as well. So yeah, tell me how you got on with Machinarium. Well, this is a game that I had 10 minutes of experience with previously. So I, I knew of it. I played the very first bit. And it's another casualty or had been a casualty of this terrible thing I have for starting and dropping games. Mm-hmm. And I've said this quite a lot of times on the podcast before. There's there's probably two main reasons why I so readily play something for five minutes and then despite enjoying it, just choose to move on. One, because I have a lot of other games constantly vying for attention. And two, which is something I've definitely mentioned before, I have this almost anxiety about keeping abreast of all games. And yeah. it's, it's such a fool's errand, but my brain is desperate to maintain this cross-genre, cross-cultural spread of everything within interactive media. And it means that sometimes I drop things that I'm genuinely enjoying because I'm worried there's other things I'm supposed to be enjoying at the same time. Like it's Big Bobby Carr doesn't play itself. It doesn't. It doesn't. It's not a healthy way to approach anything, but this is unfortunately <laughs> how my brain it seems to be wired. Now, I bring this up mainly because, like I said, I played Machinarium for 10 minutes, a very long time ago when I used to write for a games website called Negative Gamer. And back then I was furnished with a Steam key. It was about the first review copy I ever got of anything. And oh, lovely. I really enjoyed the first 10 minutes. And then did I persevere beyond that? No. (laughs) And having this game set as my uh, Fortnite play challenge this this last couple of weeks has meant that I was forced to actually make time for it. And to sit down with it, I actually made some progress with it. And I'm probably about three quarters of the way through, I would say, maybe further, because I don't really know where the end is, but I get that impression. Now, as you've already alluded to, it is a traditional point and click game. It's refreshed slightly from the LucasArts format of old by being wordless. And all of the communication with NPCs takes place pictorially. And the other thing that's really important and quite different from a lot of those older games is that the movement and position of your character, Joseph, the little robot, has this additional import due to objects only being interactable when they are in physical reach of your character and his little robot arms. Hmm. And this is all set out quite early on with characters you meet shouting at you in little animated speech bubbles that are really nicely drawn and, and really nicely kind of animated. And initial puzzles easing you into the game's world by asking you to think not only about your horizontal position across the screen, but also about your vertical position, as Joseph has this additional ability to extend his body up or down to interact with things that are higher or lower than him. Now, the first little niggle, and this basically comes down to playing this on the Switch, is is a big part of it, I think, is that although the experience is largely the same as it would be on a computer, the fact that I'm holding a controller in my hand has really made me yearn for some direct control. And you are able to move a cursor around with the left analog stick. You can then extend or contract your little robot body using the right analog stick. So you've got some you know, agency over him. But I frequently, even like two, three, four hours into playing this game, would click on things out of reach and found myself confused for just a bit longer than I'd like before I realized <laughs> that it's not going to work because I haven't moved Joseph there. You know, the solution I had was probably right, but my position in relation to the thing was wrong. So he'd go, eh, eh. 
and tell me no. And then I was yeah. like, why? <laughs> You've got the item in your hand. You're holding the thing you need. Just go and put it in the place. And it's like, no, yeah. walk him there first, then do the item. It's stuff like that sort of had, had little problems. I can imagine that would be frustrating. <laughs> now, some weeks ago, I mentioned another game called Brock the Investigator on Steam. Mm. And that was that hybrid point and click and brawler sort of mishmash game. And it used this nice system where you could click on any area of the screen and use your your mouse as you would do in a regular point and click game. But you could also control your character with the arrow keys if you're using a keyboard or using an analog stick if you're playing it with a controller. And having that kind of direct control worked really, really nicely. And it's the type of thing that I think Magisterium would have felt smoother if that had been implemented when it got ported to consoles. You know, it's it's a small thing, but it meant kind of there was that level of mild frustration sometimes with how I was getting around. Mm. Now, one thing I cannot complain about is the aesthetic of this game because everything here is really, really beautiful. Like it's hand-drawn, likely been hand-coloured too and and all kind of animated really nicely. I think on its initial release on the PC, I'm pretty confident it was made using Flash as the developer Amanita made their name by creating smaller artsy Flash adventure games in the Samorost series for browsers. And whilst this engine has obviously been updated, it's not running in Flash now for, for the game's more modern releases, there's definitely some flash markers i think in the game's design and the way in which characters are kind of articulated and posed in terms of the game's look it's pretty much timeless because it's hand rendered and yet it also communicates this certain 2000s charm in the way that joseph and his robot peers are moving and and points of reticulation and everything else and it's just very very pretty to look at it also sounds lovely and i remember when it appeared in your top 100 list you talked pretty extensively about the soundtrack and rightly so, because it's a really fantastic <laughs> mix of soft, almost ambient electronic soundscapes in places, and then more playful, characterful pieces when it's kind of in a scene that might have other robots and other kind of people bopping around. It feels both modern, but also very much of its country of origin, mm. because it's got these melodies and sound fonts that just sound unfamiliar enough to remind you that Amanita are a Czech development studio. And I assume the composer is too. I I, I didn't research who that was, but I know you... Thomas Dvorak. That's, that sounds Czech. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In one section, there's a little radio on screen and it's playing this sort of bossa nova loop. And despite being the type of thing that could get quite annoying when you're stuck on a puzzle in that area for some time, it never wound me up. And it even elicited the golden Georgia response of, oh, I like this music. <laughs> so if nothing else, regardless of my opinion, Machinarium won Luminaire's nil yeah. on the Georgia scale. <laughs> Excellent. Now, the meat and potatoes of the game. Point and click games obviously live or die by their puzzles. And Machinarium's obviously no exception because it is a point and click puzzle game. I don't know if I've got thicker as I've got older <laughs> or if my progress through games like Full Throttle or Sam and Max as a kid was mainly down to just sheer perseverance and bloody mindedness. Brute force. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I found some of these games challenges really quite tough. And the early game is mostly fine as the puzzles are generally isolated to kind of one or two screens at most. So you're only ever really thinking, okay, well, what's in screen A that I could use in screen B or how does pressing this button manipulate my immediate surroundings? But a couple of hours in, puzzles start spanning multiple scenes. You're, you're starting to think about, okay, well, what can I do with X on one screen that might do something to Y on another screen? And then maybe I could merge that with Z in my inventory. And there's kind of more moving parts to think about. And I don't have a problem at all with more layered point-and-click puzzles like this. But I think this is an area where the lack of speech or text makes things more difficult. Because in a game like Monkey Island, for example, puzzle solutions can be incredibly esoteric 
but most items come with kind of a number of stock lines from your character, Guybrush, that can help you see objects in a more abstract way. Or you might be talking to NPCs that are essentially hiding little hints in their dialogue trees, which aim to light a little fire in the back of your mind as to what you might need to find and where you might need to use it. And in Machinarium, because a character's speech bubble often will just show maybe a single item, that will be enough to trigger a memory of something if you've seen it, if you've noticed it in the background of another scene. But sometimes it's not. And because it's all hand-drawn, it's not always obvious kind of what you're looking for, what can I grab, and what is just part of the painted background. And because of that, there were times when I'd missed part of essentially like a constituent puzzle chain, something I, I should have come across and then hadn't. And it made it more challenging than it needed to be. So... One puzzle in particular, case in point, and apologies if this spoils things for a nearly 15-year-old game. You can skip the next couple of minutes if you're desperate to play it tonight. At one stage, I needed to take Joseph through a section of the stage under a leaky pipe, and he wouldn't walk through because of the water. Right next to that is an NPC holding an umbrella. Talking to them, a speech bubble pops up showing that they're missing their dog. So you think, okay, well, I've got to find the dog to exchange for this umbrella. And you find the dog quite quickly on the other side of a little waterway that you can't get across to. Through a few puzzles and simple manipulation of the environment, you can draw the dog to the edge of their side of the stage, which felt like, okay, I need him closer to be able to grab him in some way, but you don't have an immediate way to grab him. If you click on Joseph, he gives you a little thought bubble of what looks like a plunger gun, an item that thus far had never featured in the game. So I was like, okay, that's what I need, obviously, but it hasn't hasn't come up yet. You're usually thinking about those things anyway, aren't you? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. So at this stage, I started trawling back through previous screens, looking for any hint I could as to what or where this mysterious gun was. The chain of events that eventually led to solving this puzzle, and this is where I got particularly lost, you needed to turn off a light switch. The light switch itself was maybe one pixel wide uh, in a previous room, which makes that room dark and reveals a glow-in-the-dark clock, which shows a specific time. That time can then be used to unlock a door in another area. Solving a Professor Layton-style logic puzzle will then unlock a safe, revealing a gun itself. But there's no plunger, because the plunger is glued to the roof of another room, (laughs) which you can only get by extending upwards and then grabbing it. And it's something that I'd seen, but I'd wrongly assumed was just a broken light fixture. Because again, it felt like it was just painted into the scene. And I feel like if this was a more traditional point-and-click game, someone would have alluded to time being important. So I would have started looking at this clock in a, in a different way. Or maybe your character would have complained about how dark or light a room was to get you to think about illumination in some way as a possible solution to kind of like how to change the, the environment or the scenario you're in. Or maybe someone would have made reference to the plunger, probably just as a throwaway joke at the time, but that would have been enough to make you think, oh, no, I have seen a plunger because old doodad on the side mentioned it being stuck to the ceiling and that was a funny little joke and it's something that would just be embedded. Plungers are funny. It can be. (laughs) Machinarium's puzzles are not always this layered, but this one in particular felt overly challenging as a direct result of what the game had chosen to give or not give me, as it were. Mm -hmm. It does have a really nice hint system. So the game itself is is wired to support you in, in some way as well with this hint system. And if you want to use it, it's there. But I generally try my very best to play a game without kind of like having that help and i've often been quite reticent to resort to any sort of crutch like if you think about elden ring i was so desperate to beat a boss without summoning anything i did give in in the end but i wanted to experience like what was this get good mentality that seemed to have driven the discourse Mm. for so long it's the reason i don't generally change difficulty in action games 
So something like Resident Evil 4, I could make it a bit easier. Maybe I'd get a tiny bit further. But in my head, it's like, well, normal's the one it gives you when you boot it up. So that's how I feel I should play it. And in retro games as well, I very, very rarely use any modern tools like save states or being able to rewind, even though they're there to to be accessible options. Because I just want to see what these games were like in the way they were originally presented. Yeah. So in Machinarium, the hint tool is there. But as a puzzle game, being about puzzles, I tried to avoid it as much as possible. But I did have to use it for this fucking clock plunger (laughs) dog puzzle. Now... In Machinarium, there's two levels of hints as well. It's, it's quite a, a deep system in a way. The first just gives you an abstract thought bubble to try and nudge you in the right direction. And here, it just showed me, again, the plunger gun, but this time extending across the water in case I hadn't figured that part out that I was supposed to get the dog using the, the gun. The second hint, which is different, asks first that you have to play a short 30-second shooting minigame, and then it will unlock a full page of lovely concept art, like pencil drawings of all the pieces of a puzzle in sort of like storyboard forms. Lovely. And I was like, oh, fantastic. It's really nice to look at. I can sort of work out what I've done and what I haven't done and find out where, what I've missed or, or where I've gone wrong. But <laughs> this other little, little blip, it was useless because I'd solved everything in that specific area. And the hint pages only show you what to do in that particular scene. So short of going to every scene I had access to, playing the 30-second minigame, seeing what I'd missed in those puzzle pages, it wasn't going to be helpful. So it ended up being kind of form over function, that it looked beautiful, as with everything in the game. I'd forgotten about that, actually. It's a really, really lovely system, which gives gives it away that I absolutely (laughs) use those at, at some point, you know. Yeah, yeah. It looks lovely as with everything in the game. I really appreciated having to do a little extra work for the hint because it made me feel like, no, it is there. It's a tool that's there to be used. You know, I'm not being penalised for it, but it's kind of that extra 30 seconds that just makes you sit back and think like, okay, well, as I'm playing this little game, have I missed something really obvious? It's like just that sort of extra bit of thinking time before you're actually given potentially the solution. But in this case, like I said, I did have to Google what I was supposed to do with this clock and plunger and everything else because I just I couldn't figure it out. There's no way in hell I got through my first playthrough <laughs> of the game without Googling something. No. Obviously, that's the only playthrough that actually matters yeah. with a puzzle yeah. game because then you, you know all the answers. Yeah. Although I have played through it several times just because it's really Yeah, nice. I mean, I, I really like the game. And, and what you've said there is I enjoy spending time in this world more than I necessarily do engaging with it, I think. Because just being mm. in these places, listening to the music, just basically zooming in and out of the artwork, because you can do that with the shoulder buttons just to look closer. Oh, that's nice. It's really nicely drawn. It's just really nice sort of little dioramas, essentially, of, of these little scenes. Mm. I really like the character designs. I really love the music. I really adore the art. Like, But I'm so-so with the actual puzzle mechanics, I guess. Yeah. You know, the control, which was a little bit awkward, take it or leave it. Some people will have more of a problem with that than others, but, you know, it's not a big deal. But in terms of the actual structure of the game itself those are those bits that i think there's things that could be done to make it smoother and in terms of puzzles i reckon i could have solved most of that even if it only had a kind of a button which would light up all the hot spots of a scene if i knew i could interact with a, a light switch yeah. i would have at least pressed it to see what happens kind yeah. of thing or perhaps if the hint system was a bit more direct and acknowledged like multi-screen puzzles you know make me play three levels of a game if it's a harder puzzle i don't, I don't really mind yeah but just something that kind of acknowledges that yes, you've sold this bit on this screen, but that's not going to help you for the bit you're stuck on. <laughs> Just something else. Yeah. Like there's every possibility that Amanita went on to refine all this stuff in their other games because they made a Samaros 3 post-Machinarium. They made Botanicula, another game that I've... Yeah, that's a nice That's a nice little game. It's a nice know, I've, I've game. never played them, but I imagine things were probably 
adapted slightly or refined as they went forwards because they're, they're still going, mm. they're still making things. There's an Apple Arcade exclusive. Creeks, is it? Oh, is that them as well? Did they make Creeks as well? I think so, which I'm sure is on other things now as well. Potentially another one to look at because I think that's in my Switch collection too. <laughs> <laughs> Almost certainly. Almost certainly. But yeah, so I've not finished the whole game. I think I'm close, like I said. I think I'm about three quarters of the way through. Yeah. I've spent a fair few evenings sat with a single puzzle, like, for instance, the plunger adventure, for example. And because I was making minimal progress, what I'd tend to do is I'd come back another day and see if I could then solve it then. And because of that, it's meant that it's not been the sort of game I wanted to just sit with for five straight hours on a Saturday. But I do want to get to the end. It is something that I'm close enough. I think I would like to to see it out. I've just passed through the greenhouse section, which, as you alluded to, I think, all the way back when it came up on your list, has some really wonderful electronic come ambient music that sets the tone of that area really nicely unbelievable and yeah. i'm now through there and i'm in an arcade essentially trying to solve sokoban style puzzles to unlock another yeah. item that presumably will help me along on my way so i will let you know in a week or so if i have got to the end mm. because it'd be nice to kind of add to my completion checklist something that otherwise really wouldn't have kind of pinged up on my to-do list as it were excellent i'm really glad i'm really glad and uh it sounds like you've, you've highlighted a lot of the things that made the game really really nice um, really special for me what about you what have you played which game did i set you bleed chris bleed, bleed. remind me what the game is it is a run and gun style sort of arcade shooter i guess in the vein of something like gunstar heroes is probably the closest sort of analog that that kind of style it's a twin stick game as well, isn't it? I'm pretty sure you can shoot in different directions. Yeah. So you have a bit more agency than, say, Contra. But it's that that kind of thing. It's that kind of thing. It's that kind of thing. Now, I, I was playing this on Steam Deck because I managed to pick it up for about £1.19 or something. I could tell from the moment I started that it wasn't going to be a long game. Yeah. It, it all felt very immediate. Perhaps a little too immediate because just sort of just throws you into the game uh, without really showing you what makes the game different to other games yeah. in, in similar genres even just a little tutorial section to show you how the double, triple jump mechanic works, because that's quite different to, to to anything else I've played. You get three jumps, but your third jump is more of a, I don't know, it's more of a, sort of like a jet propulsion thing. So it, it's not like you can jump twice in the air. It's you jump and then you can do another thing, sort of like, you know, in in Smash Brothers. Yes, yeah, um, yeah. You can jump and then there's always like an up B move that boost your character a little bit differently depending on your characters and uh, like with link yeah. it'll do like an upwards sword swing or like and this sort of tri- double triple jump sort of movement mechanic is, is is kind of what makes the game different to, to something else because it's a sort of hybrid between like a standard i guess space shoot 'em up where you can just move freely on the x and y axis as yeah. you know you go along it's a mix between that and obviously controlling a character reacting to gravity and I don't really feel the game definitively comes down on a decision on what it wants to be because <laughs> there's 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 like this the sort of nimble jumping and movement mechanics make it feel reminiscent of something like Celeste. Yeah. But then it doesn't have any of the sort of platforming design to really make the most of of those mechanics. And because like your jump and double jump, it recharges, I think, when like you're wall jumping or bouncing off a wall. In amongst all the chaos of the action and all of the bullet hell sort of bits and bobs going on, you just sort of get a bit, bit lost in all of that. And if you're just jumping around, you can just keep jumping. Basically, your odds are you'll jump off a wall before you've jumped three <laughs> times in the air. So you can just sort of, you know, so you sort of lose the precision yeah. of, of that. And it makes the design of that feel more woolly than than intentional. In in the main sort of levels, you are just sort of, you know, yeah, it is sort of run and gun, avoid some bullet hell stuff, try and kill things without dying. 
boss fights on the other hand it does feel then more more engaging yeah. with the with this movement mechanic because they're they're big bosses they've got long reach attacks uh, so you really need to be able to move as, as as far and as fast as you can to escape them and they, those felt really really good like they, they reminded me of the boss fights in in dead cells actually which uh, okay. is a big compliment because yeah, they're fantastic praise. i don't want to be harsh i don't want to be harsh but yeah. it, it, it doesn't feel like it's had a a huge amount of test playing to get the balance of it right it's absolutely fine it's it's like by no means a, a, a bad game or it doesn't even feel bad to play it's just that i was very aware of, of how much better it could be because i've played yeah. games that yeah. feel better that are doing similar things like little things like just getting the flow of the game feeling right like the way checkpointing works in the game, which, I mean, the checkpoints are, are quite forgiving. If you die, you just go back to the start of that section of the level. It's never never a huge, huge long sort of chunk that you need to get through. But they do kind of ruin the pace of the game because they're too far apart to be the sort of rapid fire, live, die, repeat thing of something yeah, like yeah. Uh, Hotline Miami or Celeste. You don't get health drops in the game. And that's a, that's a strange decision, I think, because if enemies dropped health or there were health pickups that you could get that would have just helped the flow of the game so much better because as it is like by the time you get to a boss fight almost certainly you're not going to be at full health so you may as well just die because you're going to start the boss fight straight away again with full health yeah and i understand that there are stacking difficulty tiers with the games like the harder difficulty levels harder difficulty settings you haven't got infinite lives or you haven't got infinite checkpoints or you know all of this sort of stuff so i understand that there's a sort of layered layeredness to how that's done to sort of try and cater for everyone but like i said i've seen it done i've seen it done successfully in other games but then also i haven't played bleed 2 which is a game that exists and it's very it possible that they've 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 made some of these changes and these refinements like the heart of the game is is good it's a good game it's got it's got nice mechanics it just needs to it just needs to decide what it is yeah because i think having like i i love that fast-paced precise platforming that you get in something like celeste or super meat boy absolutely love that i don't mind the sort of bullet hell style stuff when it comes to something like uh, Binding of Isaac is, you know, can sort of go almost in that category. I didn't feel like there were many options when it came to the guns that you could have as well. Unless I totally missed something, you have two guns. You have a pistol and you have a rocket launcher and you just switch between them. Sounds right, I think. That felt very strange because there weren't power-ups. Yeah. There weren't, you know, sort of bigger guns. There weren't different guns that you thought, oh, actually, I've got a laser gun this can bounce off walls and that would really help for this section against these enemies or yeah so there are things like that that i really wanted that you would get in say something like r type you know or um, any other sort of like shoot em up game it's a strange one it's a strange one it's like i said i'd be interested to play bleed 2 because if they've taken if, if this was like the tech demo and then bleed 2 is the game then it could be <laughs> it could be something really really great but uh, uh, as it is I think they're relying a lot on the appeal of the game being replay value, arcade, score chasing, which those types of games do not have replay value for me at all. It's not enough of a reason for me to to play a game again to see if I can do it better. Like, I'm happy to just tick it off and go, that's done. I mean, sometimes if it's that fun to play, I'll happily do that. Like, you know, Super Monkey Ball or Metroid. But the gameplay has to be so unbelievably good that I just want to play it again, first and foremost. And the better score will be a byproduct of that experience. Yes, yeah. But I find score chasing just too much of a a rabbit hole for my OCD 
Um, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it is a very fine line to try and work out like what the actual best score is I can get and then not stop until I've worked out a way to do that. Or if I get an S rank on one level, then I have to not rest until I've got an S rank on everything. Similar in the way that I, I have to temper myself when it comes to freemium games or games with microtransactions. I feel I do a similar thing in score chasing arcade games where I, I won't stop until I've completed it and completing it is is obviously a very broad category depending on what you want that to to qualify as yeah absolutely when this game came out it's probably about 10 years old Mm. i would guess and like i mentioned it came out on xbox live indie games so it was at a time when the xbox live arcade boom had started Mm. so this was probably a year or two after braid say it was around the same time as something like limbo so the the indie thing was happening but this was then this next phase of indie where it was like single devs. So I'm pretty sure Bleed is made by just one guy. And because it was self-published through this kind of Xbox Live Indie program, I think I probably thought of it really positively at the time because there was a lot of tosh there as well. Yeah, like yeah, I, yeah. I, lo- I loved sifting through it. I, I love playing rubbish. <laughs> but when you found something that was kind of like semi-polished and had kind of a bit of thought behind it, I think by comparison of being alongside things that there was no thought and polish, yeah. suddenly something like Bleed was like, cool, what a product. Yeah. And, and I think that elevates it. And it's it's just interesting to hear you talk about it now because we've had 10 years of unbelievable indie games, really. Yeah. Like the strongest decade for kind of the games industry as a whole that we've ever had, really, in terms of what's been pumped out. And because I played it at a very different time with very different experiences, you know, something like Dead Cells, not that that's kind of necessarily my sort of game, but it's something that I couldn't have even imagined. Yeah. 10 years back and now we have something like that popping out five times a week on steam (laughs) it's just that they're so prevalent yeah it feels like a developer trying to get the lay of the land and i am glad to have played this it's 42 minutes of my life and that's (laughs) that's absolutely fine you can't have them back (laughs) so you've got to make something of it (laughs) so before we wrap up what is the next Fortnite challenge game going to be? Oh, I'm excited to hear what you're going to uh, what you're going to set me. I'm excited to set you a game as well. Now, before we do that, we, we have decided that we are going to alternate challenges uh, between not not necessarily modern games, but I'd say certainly games that you could play on a modern console. So yeah, like, something like yeah. Machinarium and Bleed are both like ten years old, but you, you can play on the Switch or the Steam Deck. But we're going to alternate between games like that and then more retro games specifically thinking of games you have to emulate to play yeah so this next challenge is going to be we're going to set each other a couple of retro games uh, to play chris what are you setting me to play i am going to give you a mega drive twofer the disney double pack essentially Ooh. uh mickey mouse in castle of illusion yeah because i have a very fond memory of the master system version of that game yeah. i don't yeah, have yeah. a huge amount of experience with the mega drive version it just wasn't the one i grew up with but mm. by all accounts people like it a lot and in pairing with that is uh, Donald Duck in Quackshot. I told you I'm... you were thinking about Plunger Guns. <laughs> which I'm very, very fond of. I really, really like that game. I think Quackshot is essentially an early Metroidvania. Interesting. Because you, you are updating and, and upgrading some of mm. your abilities, revisiting areas, unlocking things you couldn't before. It's, it's loose. It's not quite as expansive as something like Super Metroid. But I think you'll probably enjoy that one more than Castle of Illusion. But as a pairing... I yeah. think they're, they're a nice sort of uh, you know, mm. chalk and cheese. 
Excellent. I'm really, really looking forward to that. I remember renting Castle of Illusion on the Master System and it's being lovely. like, because I remember like seeing coverage of the Mega Drive version and that being like a real like paragon of gaming. Just like, oh yeah. my God, this game, Castle of Illusion. And I'm, I'm still absolutely blown away by how well a lot of 16-bit platformers hold up. When you look at the likes yeah. of like the Sonic games, obviously Mario games, Donkey Kong Country. It'll be really, really interesting, especially as because I had a fairly mixed reaction to when I replayed the Aladdin and Lion King games. Yes. Uh, which yeah. are like Disney ones. Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, great. Thank you. That's going to be a, that's, that's a real feast. Good. What have I got? You, we're going on the Game Boy Advance. Yes. We're going groundbreaking. Groundbreaking. I want you to give a superb first person game a go by the name of X versus Sever. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. I, I, I actually can't wait. I, I'm, I'm really, really intrigued to hear your thoughts on this game, like properly, because I, I know we've sort of mentioned it in passing a few times, almost as a bit of a gag. But like you, you've spoken brilliantly about like the historical importance of games like Doom yeah. and of like your admiration for like the, the console ports of that yeah. game and like yeah. pushing 16-bit, 32-bit hardware, you know, as far as they possibly could. And I really enjoyed X versus Sever when I had it on the on the Game Boy Advance. Uh, a lot of that enjoyment possibly came from its technical prowess as yeah. being like the first first-person handheld game that I had that ran semi-decently, you know, outside of Facebook 2000. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm really, really intrigued to see uh, see what you think of how it measures up to those classics uh, as, a, as a technical achievement of the time and uh, if you think it's got any value today. I'm really excited. I mean, I've, I've played a couple levels of it over the years and that's yeah. about all I've ever done. So my biggest memory is watching you play it on an unlit mm. Game Boy Advance in our form room when we were like, what, 13, yeah. 14 years old, whenever you got yeah. your, your Game Boy Advance. So yeah, that'll be a real uh, a real throwback to uh, just being wee children with far mm. less responsibilities than we have now. <laughs> Jesus, yeah. <laughs> so there we go. That is the closing of our first Fortnite Challenge report. I hope you enjoyed hearing us talk about Bleed and Machinarium. Next week, we'll be continuing with our Playdate Odyssey and we'll be giving proper coverage of the next two games that have released in the season pass, Boogie Loops and Crankin's Time Travel Adventure. Very much looking forward to hearing your thoughts on both of those, Chris, as I am excited to share my thoughts on them. If you're enjoying what we're doing, please do consider heading over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash O3C Games. Consider pledging a few pounds our way and enjoy the enormous amount of, uh, of, of goodies that you'll get in return for that please do check out our website o3c.games if you want to throw us a few quid outside of a subscription you can go to the support page on there and chuck us some money on paypal we'd again hugely appreciate that engage with us on our social media channels we are at o3c games on everything or you can target us individually i am on twitter at jonathan dunn and i still live at chaz underscore hodges and we will see you back here next time for a play date please I'm Colette. And I'm Matt. It's time to talk about the most important topic facing humanity. Video games. Oh, okay, video games. (laughs) Every week on Colette and Matt have entered the chat, we have in-depth conversations about the games we're currently playing. We also talk to people who make video games as well as YouTubers, writers, and podcasters that you already know and love. We also talk about what you're playing when you join our community. Subscribe to Colette and Matt have entered the chat wherever you get your favorite podcasts. 
the Hardcore Gaming 101 podcast is on a mission to rank the top games of all time. I like the idea that when Bruce Wayne gets angry, he switches to the Batman voice. Uh, Why do you have such a problem making Boomerang shape like a bat? You mean like Batman? Not like Batman, just make it for me! Bruce Wayne, I can't even with this guy. It's a Herculean task, and I'd be lying if I said it hasn't taken a toll on our cognitive faculties. Most people would be happy to have a job during a global pandemic. <laughs> Dennis. Hardcore Gaming 101, twice a week, every week, right here on the HyperX Podcast Network. HyperX has refined their lightweight Cloud Stinger headset and now proudly presents the evolved Cloud Stinger, that's right, too. It still keeps the same rotating ear cups that you have come to love, swivel to mute microphone and comfort, but now adds two years of premium DTS Headphone X activation. Get even better in-game audio and a number of other refinements for the low, 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 low price of 50 US dollars. Available now at HyperX.com. 